This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. If you sign up for our mailing list, you will get a copy of my full 2021 Rookie Dynasty rankings that won't be up on the website. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at DyDownload2020, so that's D-Y-Download2020. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. With that, we've actually had some football being played. How about that? It's uh, it's rather exciting. The lull for me after basketball to football is I'm not a huge baseball guy, so that dead period really just depresses me. So I'm happy that preseason football, if anything, is back. I know. I usually can bridge the gap a little bit in that category because normally we've had some of the major golf tournaments up until now, but now with the PGA moving forward in the year, it kind of makes everything in a weird adjustment period. And I'm not a huge baseball guy, but thankfully the Brewers have been good this year. So it was really a, a great thing for me that basketball was until the middle of July, since we're both Bucks fans. And uh, I got Premier League football starting this weekend. So I'm not too upset. My sports calendar is about to really uh, ramp up again. But let's start with some quick news on the fantasy front. Unfortunately, we seem like we're going to have to start almost every episode with the Deshaun Watson watch. I really don't know what's going on with his case. We have up to 22 women now accusing him of stuff. The case doesn't look like it's going to be played out during the course of the season. And from the listings I've gotten from camp, he's listed as quarterback four on their depth chart. Now, to be fair, most of the websites are handled by the public relations department, but he's not even practicing on the scout team. So I really don't know if this is his demand and he's intentionally sitting out of practice so that the Texans will trade him. But I can't imagine anybody trading for him right now with all the headaches that that would come with. So do you see this being resolved at all this year yet? Um, I personally do not. Like I'm like you. I don't really know too much of what's going on in the case uh, I have heard that it is up to about 22 women now. That being said, uh, I did read something on Twitter about one of the Houston reporters who, s- who came out and just straight up said that Deshaun Watson is not going to play again for the Texans. And then doing some more digging on that, yeah, finding that he hasn't done anything in practice. He's kind of just there. And even for a couple of days, he wasn't even out on the practice field. I don't know what's going on. I I find it hard to believe that you can trade somebody that has this much baggage coming with them, but I don't know what his thought process is either. He seems like he's pretty stuck in that he's not going to play another down for the Texans, but when will he play another down, I guess is the question. If he doesn't play this year, then he's got all the legal mumbo-jumbo and then probably suspension that comes with it. Are we looking at like two years of football without Deshaun Watson? For me, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, and it's really going to make it difficult on anybody that has him on their dynasty roster as to whether he's going to play, start, be reliable at all. 
honestly, at this point, you have to look at multiple other options as being your best avenue toward success. I just don't see him probably playing or this season. And you may be right if we get a suspension or whatever's going to happen. One of those, uh, he gets stuck on an indefinite list or something by the commissioner. Who knows? It could be two years. And at that point, is he even a valuable asset if he isn't NFL ready after two years gone? I don't know. This is very reminiscent of the Michael Vick situation where you just take out some of his prime years because of all the legal troubles. It gives me a lot of pause. And I, I would honestly think about possibly cutting him if it wasn't that he had the ability of being traded yet. I don't think we're quite at that point, but gosh, I, this is a terrible situation. So, yeah, what do you if, so I guess I got a question for you. So then okay. if you're Ben and you have him on your squad, what do you what do you do with him? You can't cut him, right? Like he's too good to cut at this particular time. Ben is in a really difficult spot. Number one, he can't trade for somebody that would be a top five quarterback that you would assume Watson is going to be. Two, he's in win-now mode because he's got Kamara, Chubb, and McCaffrey, who are all top six backs, in my opinion. Possibly even top five, depending on how you rank the guys. Kamara and McCaffrey, I think, ADP-wise, are probably going uh, one and number three. So... He's got to maximize his win-now mode. He's got some decent wide receivers, Robert Woods, T. Higgins. He's got Hawkinson as his tight end. In a redraft setting, he'd actually have a really good team. I don't know if it's top of the league competing for a championship if he doesn't have the quarterback situation straightened out. And his depth at wide receiver, probably the deepest position that we have right now, is still a little thin because you're relying on DJ Chark to come back and be productive with a rookie quarterback. So we'll see how it shakes out as far as the draft. Oh, and excuse me, he I forgot he has C.D. Lamb. So maybe he's a little bit better in that category. But again, with the way our league is structured, you have to have a reliable quarterback and usually a running quarterback. So... If I'm Ben, and especially sitting in, I think he's the fifth spot overall, he's probably going to want to draft a running back, one of those top guys early on in the draft, just because he should. But you might be able to use that as trade bait to lure out somebody like, honestly, he should be trading for Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, because the guys that have them in our specific league also have Josh Allen and Dak Prescott. So he could get those guys for a much more reasonable price where he could be competitive and not have to overpay for top five quarterback dollars, let's say. So it, it just is a, it's a difficult situation. I still would also be really high and know the top two guys that I really wanted to go after from this rookie quarterback draft. I know most people in our league are probably not going to be high on Mac Jones, although he looked actually pretty decent the other night. I've adjusted my quarterback rankings, but you'd really think that it's some combination of Fields, Lance, and Lawrence in one of those three as being your one, two, three, then probably Zach Wilson, and then probably Mac Jones. And then you might start to think about either the Vikings quarterback, Kellen Mond, or maybe, I can't remember, is it Kyle Trask went to the Buccaneers? I'm pretty sure that's right. Yes. Yeah. So... But you really are going to have to think about, especially picks third or fourth round, taking an, a quarterback or two 
just to round out your system because it's going to be hard to win now and not have that. Now, you could maybe delay it and say next year is going to be my year, but if you really wanted to go win now, I would probably go after somebody like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. That'd be my thought. So let's quickly turn then, what are your adjustments, if you're making any, on Texans players if we have to have Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback as opposed to Deshaun Watson? I don't want any of them. I don't want a single one. I don't have a Texans player, and I'm not going out and getting one. I do not want one. It depends on what the ADP is going to be. I still think Brandon Cooks might be valuable because I've seen him going as late as the eighth round, and he's a really good depth player that I think Tyrod Taylor's not a terrible quarterback, and Cooks is produced. His issue has been concussions and health. And there's also a strong possibility, since he's going to be a free agent after this season, that you might be able to have him traded to a competitive team around the deadline. But I don't know if that's something I'm banking on. Either way, I still think he might be productive. And they're not in a terrible division defensively. The Colts are there, sure. But the Jaguars and the Titans don't really scare me. And they're going to have a bottom feeder schedule going into this season. The AFC is also not as top heavy on some of the defenses as the NFC is. So give me maybe uh, Brandon Cooks and a late round flyer on Philip Lindsay. I think he's a guy that could step in given the opportunity. I know they still have David Johnson, but that was made or that move was made with another coaching staff in mind. Who knows what that is going to end up bringing uh, this season. I think David Johnson might be done kind of in that retirement area so and i'm one of the big david johnson apologists going back to last season so we'll see but he's not a guy i'd be counting on i would i would look at philip Lindsay as potentially taking over the lead back role in here for even a bad team i still think the texans are going to have to throw a lot and those guys can be productive so All right. Other news of note. Uh, We have a lot of rookie quarterbacks we just mentioned, specifically Justin Fields and Trey Lance are turning heads in training camp, according to a lot of the beat reporters. How would you rank your rookie quarterbacks for the upcoming rookie draft at the moment? I like Justin Fields a lot. It sucks that he's on the Bears uh, (laughs) as a Packer fan, but I like Justin Fields a lot. I think by the end of the year, he'll be starting over in Chicago because things are not going to go as well as they had hoped with Andy Dalton record-wise. I think he is what he is as a quarterback, but I think he's probably the best backup quarterback in the league. Trey Lance, I think he'll end up having the job too before the season ends, and I also think that Mac Jones will have the job before the season ends as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of rookie quarterbacks starting by the end of the year. I think it is in the last five years, quarterbacks taken in the first round, only one of them hasn't played a single snap. And that was Jordan Love for obvious reasons. I would expect all five of these guys to take snaps at some point this year. I just don't know when. And right now, the way it looks is if you really listen to the 49ers beat coming out right now, it's a, distinct possibility that Trey Lance starts game one over Garoppolo. Now, I don't think that I would bank on that, but it's certainly a possibility. And I like the 49ers offense enough, particularly given that I have George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk, that I would probably put him near the top of my list. But objectively, I would probably put Fields as my number one guy just because of his running ability, 
Trevor Lawrence number two, and then maybe Trey Lance number three, just because of I don't know how that situation is going to work itself out yet. I think there's actually a stronger possibility Trey Lance starts from week one than there is Justin Fields, because I think they're going to wait a couple of games with Andy Dalton to get Fields into the best possible uh, situation to make his debut as opposed to throwing him into the fire immediately. But I think it's inevitable that Fields sees the field. Now, also, you're going to get a taste this weekend for all five of these guys, plus Jordan Love. We already got Mac Jones the other day. Which one are you most looking forward to seeing this weekend? Honestly, and I'm not even saying this as a Packer fan, just with everything that happened this offseason, I'm most excited to see Jordan Love. I'm excited to see how much work he put in from last year to this year. I'm excited to see if he has more command over the offense because he was operating as quarterback one all offseason long. I'm excited to see the chemistry that he has with the players. I'm excited to see, you know, the, the he worked on his footwork all year long. That's what I'm super excited to see about um, Jordan Love. What I'm also excited to see is Trey Lance, though, because I didn't see a lot of him when he played in college. I've, I've seen Justin Fields. I know what Justin Fields can do. Trey Lance, he he's just just dripping with raw potential, right? Like he looks like he could be one of those one time in a lifetime type of quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm very interested to see what he can do at the quarterback position. I really love the pairing with Kyle Shanahan, given that Shanahan seems to think that Trey Lance was the smartest of the five quarterbacks coming out. His scheme is one of the more complicated, but he's also the ultimate genius of offensive football in the NFL. You ask any coach in the NFL, they're all pointing back to Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, there might be a couple of McVeighs, but even McVeigh traces all of his roots back to Shanahan in that system. So to have a rookie quarterback that he thinks so highly of in that offense reminds me a lot of the way that he talked about Brandon Ayu coming in last season. So I'm curious to see how that goes, because I think that it's possible. I don't know if it's likely, because I know a lot of people really high on Trevor Lawrence. But I think it's possible that Trey Lance ends up having the best career for the first five years, just because of the situation he's in, the offense, and how well the 49ers have run their team and organization since John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan came in. The guy I'm looking forward to the most is Jordan Love, but that's as a fan. The guy I'm most scared to watch is Justin Fields because I can't imagine the Bears actually having a fucking good quarterback for once. (laughs) So then let's just do some quick injury rundown. Now, I know that training camp has been lessened to a degree from what it used to be, so the training camp injuries are usually small or minor by comparison to what we used to have. And we haven't had a ton so far, but we do have a few notables. Rashad Bateman is having surgery. He seems like he'll be out at least the first week, if not two. I don't know if you're drafting him, especially in redraft, that you're really expecting him to play right away and be productive. But it does delay his potential progress that he's missing most of training camp and the first couple of weeks of the season. Dak Prescott apparently had a second MRI on his shoulder that's been holding him out of camp. This is different than the leg, so take that with a grain of salt. But the fact that they needed a second MRI gives you a little bit of pause, but we haven't seen anything out of Dallas so far that would indicate that he's not going to be ready to play. 
So we'll keep monitoring that one. And then finally, the Colts had two of the worst uh, injuries so far within a day of each other. Both Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson uh, had foot injuries that I guess had five to 12 week timetables. But the Colts seem to be very positive right now that they both might start week one. So we'll see how that goes. But right now, that's the only injuries that I could find. Did you note anything else that I missed? No, nothing that comes to mind right off the top of my head. Um, the Bateman one, though, that one's interesting because Baltimore went out and got him, and there's all this talk. You know, Lamar Jackson has all the weapons that he needs this year. Like, it's kind of one of those prove-it years for Lamar Jackson as well because he hasn't gotten his contract extension yet. Um, they're trying to see if he's more than just that running quarterback. So this this hurts Lamar Jackson, I think, too. And I know I've talked about it a million times, and I'm going to talk about it again. Being a rookie, especially like a rookie wide receiver, and this is just, you're thinking about so much. As a wide receiver, as a fan, you just think like they always know what's going on. But like when you're out there, you're thinking, okay, what type of coverage is he in? If he's in a cover two, then I have to do this. If he's in man, then I have to do this. So it's a lot more thinking instead of acting. So that delay too, with him not being in the camp, I think it kind of puts a cap on what we can see of him this year too. And he was one of the guys I was super excited about, especially it's a soft tissue injury too. Like who knows if that'll mess with him the rest of the year. So I think this one hurts Baltimore a lot more than, than a lot of people think it's going to. It's quite possible. I want to temper the expectations of everyone. Last year, we had one of the most unusual rookie wide receiver campaigns ever. C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson all had really good years. You could even throw in, I guess, a back half of Michael Pittman Jr. or I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that contributed. But realistically, I don't expect that most rookie wide receivers are going to produce in the way that those guys did. You're more likely to get a second-year jump that we're hoping for out of guys like Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy this year than you are to get those first-year guys. That is unusual. So until I see it again, I'm not really putting my money down on that happening. But I think the day is coming because college offenses are becoming more pro-like or maybe it's vice versa, that the pros are becoming more like college offenses, that these guys are coming in more pro-ready than they used to. So the jump from college to pro is getting less, and there may be a day where we treat rookie wide receivers in the way that we treat rookie running backs. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, remember, too, when Adrian Peterson was drafted, and he was kind of like the first rookie running back with, that it was like, okay, Maybe maybe they can consistently do this. And now we think of rookie running backs as the ones you want, especially in dynasty fantasy. You want them early. And I do think that it's going to get that way with wide receivers. And I agree with you. I got to see it again. But you're right. Like, it's coming. It's most definitely it's coming. All right. So let's turn to our big conversation of the day. It is our top breakouts and over the hill candidates today. You wanted to start with breakouts. You want to give your number five, sir. Yeah, my number five, I'm going to start out with uh, a rookie. And I think Rondell Moore, especially after seeing what he did kind of in the preseason game last night. Um, he had 36% of the passing attempts at, for Arizona yesterday. 
I think that he could be an early breakout candidate, as I remember just talked about how rookie-wide receivers, <laughs> I feel like it's tough for them to come in right away. But I just think he's in a great position. You have New Hopkins, that's the number one, and he's going to be the number one. There's no discussion about that, right? So a lot of the attention is going to be drawn to him. And then who do you have as your number two wide receiver in Arizona? You have A.J. Green, who we haven't seen anything from for, what, three years We have Christian Kirk, who still kind of makes me want to believe in him, but let's be real. He hasn't done anything, and if he doesn't do anything early in this year, because it is kind of a contract prove-it year for him, I do believe, I think they're going to start using the 5'7", smaller, quicker Rondell Moore in a slot, kind of a quick, like, Kyler, all right, get it out to him to go. I think he can be a reception or a target machine, a reception monster, I don't really think he's going to put up like double-digit touchdowns or anything like that, but I do think he's going to be one of those slot guys that the league is kind of turning into as well that can be very, very dependable. So I'm going to go with Rondell Moore as my number five. Yeah, that's a guy I have my eye on for rookie production. Again, I think you're correct that his target production, even in year one, will probably be higher because of the amount of times that Arizona goes to four wide. I think he's going to be there underneath, drag route, uh, quick ins, slot, or uh, quick slants type of guy. And he could really see a lot of yards after the catch type of stuff. He could be there, Cole Beasley, or I guess what the Packers used to have in Randall Cobb type of guy. He's not probably going to be somewhat on the boundary. He's not going to be the throw it up and go get it type of guy, but he can be very productive in a lot of wide receiver screens, uh, wheel routes, stuff that is unusual, but they can really scheme him into some different patterns. I don't know if I trust Cliff Kingsbury to do that well, but that's just me. And you know my repeat on uh, Cliff Kingsbury on this show. I've heard it before. (laughs) I think a few times. Uh, I should have given this beforehand, but the rules for what we determine as breakout is guys who could break into the top 10 at their position for the first time or top five for tight ends, just because top 10 tight ends doesn't really mean much. So by that definition, I'm going to give an honorable mention to start. This guy has only been in the top 10 once, and it was in 2015. He doesn't quite fit the definition then, but he was number 12 over the last two seasons. And I think he is going to have a better deep-throwing quarterback in either Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. Those are better than Foles or Trubisky, and I think he has top-10 value. It's Allen Robinson. I think we've both said that he is vastly underrated, and having somebody that's a little bit more capable, you think about Andy Dalton throwing to A.J. Green over the years, uh, they kind of... He's just going to throw it up on the boundary if he's in single coverage and let somebody go get it. And we know Allen Robinson is capable of doing that. I also love that Justin Fields is going to have a number one guy out there to really help him. I I think Allen Robinson could very well finish, maybe not with double-digit touchdowns, because I don't know how much the Bears are going to score this year. And I do think they're going to run it in tight. But I think this is a guy that's probably going to see 130, 140 targets this year and that the Bears offense is going to be a little bit more consistent. So he could very well put up top 10 numbers. He just has finished in the top 10 before. That's the only reason that he is not included in my list. My number five, I'm going to go with a bit of a surprise. He has one of the best offensive lines in football. Second year in the zone run scheme that it usually takes two years to get up to speed. If you don't believe me, see Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo in their schemes. 
and after week 12 into the playoffs last year, had games of 21, 36.2, 34.45, or 23.95, 14.85, 18.2, 25.45, and 13.3 for an average of 23.43, which would have been quarterback six last year on a per-game basis. He and this team are going to get better, and while I don't have any allusions to Odell Beckham Jr. being a top-10 wide receiver, I think Baker Mayfield could be in a breakout category. Yeah, he, um, I think, I just read something. It was like after week 12, there was only one quarterback that was that had better stats than Baker, and that was Aaron Rodgers. I, he was he was smoking for much of the season last year, so that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, Lamar Jackson would be kind of in that category, too. He got cooking at the late part of the year. Number four for me, I am going to go with Irv Smith Jr., tight end for the Vikings. Kyle Rudolph is gone. Kirk Cousins likes his tight ends. And even last year in kind of a limited role, you know, he had 30 grabs for 300 and, I don't know, like 40 yards and five touchdowns. Outside of, like, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, I don't really think there's another target recipient in the building uh, i think irv smith jr could be in for for a very good year for tight ends he's certainly one of the tight ends that i have my eye on going into this year that could be in for a breakout some of these guys that once they're given their full opportunity and i think he's in the right offense where they're going to have tight ends under the field that are going to produce my only problem with it is is that i think he's the number four target on that team behind Thielen jefferson and even dalvin cook Uh, I guess you could say Dalvin. Yeah. All right. My next, my number four, Antonio Gibson of Washington. The best call I made last year, and you laughed at me at the time, might be saying Antonio Gibson might be uh, Christian McCaffrey light. He wasn't used at all on third downs last season. I think he had less than Andy Janovich and was only in on like 21 third down snaps the entire season. Yes, he was a little bit hurt, but... He was a guy learning mostly a new position in the pros and still put up 11 touchdowns and bulked up. So I think if he's had a full offseason to learn pass pro and given some more opportunities, if he even takes a fraction of J.D. McKissick's catches from that team, he's all of a sudden vaulted into a top 10 running back. So I think this guy is already going to get the volume It's whether or not he gets the volume in the pass catching game and his efficiency stays high, particularly as the goal line back for an offense that I think actually will be better with more consistency at quarterback this year. Antonio Gibson is my number four. I like it. He did a lot better than I thought he was going to do as a wide receiver converting to the running back position here in the NFL. He held up decently well, but I guess uh, with more carries – We'll see. I'd still, it's still more of like a can he handle the workload question for me, not his talent. Um, He's proven his talent. It was against the Cowboys more so than anything, but he proved that he can be a a fantasy relevant uh, running back in this league. I just want to see if he can stay healthy. That's all. I, I think there are a lot of possibilities for that Washington team, and I actually think they might be a surprise to win that division. I know everybody's heavy on the Cowboys right now. But I look at the Giants, and they seem like a dysfunctional mess. The Eagles have their own issues, and we still don't even know who the starter at quarterback is going to be. I know everybody assumes it's going to be Jalen Hurts, but with Nick Sirianni, the dumb guy, I really don't know. So 
Eh, we'll, we'll, we'll save that one. Your number three then, sir. <laughs> My number three, I'm going to go with Jerry Judy. My only issue with Jerry Judy and why I don't think that he could be a breakout candidate this year is his quarterbacks. That's, that's it. And I say quarterbacks because we don't know if it's going to be Drew Locke or the bane of my existence last year, Teddy Bridgewater, really handicapping <laughs> DJ Moore. But uh, Jerry Judy had a pretty decent rookie campaign with all things considering 856 receiving yards. He only scored three times, though. I feel like with Cortland Sutton, a lot of people might be thinking that is a knock against Jerry Judy's production, but I actually think it'll help Jerry Judy's production. Cortland Sutton is a very, very good wide receiver. The only issue is injuries have not been very kind to him, but if he's on the field, he will demand respect. And I think that'll only help Jerry Judy. And I think it'll help him at like big plays too, like yards after the catch. So I'm going to go Jerry Judy for number three for me. I know you feel burned by Teddy Bridgewater, but I think he's a more capable and competent starter than Drew Locke. And so if Denver is going to go with Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke, I actually feel better about the Denver wide receivers this year. I do also think that having Cortland Sutton there does give him a few more matchup advantages, just having another guy on the field that people have to cover. And also that division is not stacked with defense. And there are a lot of offenses that are going to try and score a lot of points in Oakland and the Chargers and Kansas City. So you're going to need to keep up. So I expect that Denver's going to have to throw a lot in at least six games this year. They're going to have a favorable schedule. They get the home field advantage. I just think if Judy figures out how to uh, cut out the drops that he had last year, which was unusual given how he played at Alabama, that he could be a guy in for a rise. I just don't know if... As a second-year guy, I would predict him to be a top-10 guy. That's my only consideration, just because you've got all those other guys there, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, Noah Fant. So it's just one of those that the pieces are all around it, and you've said it. The quarterback is still kind of a big question mark, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. Number three is the guy that you have sent videos on the entire offseason more than anybody else. He had 74 catches on 111 targets last year for 935 yards and five touchdowns. And he's going to get the second year in this system with Dak Prescott being back. And kind of, even though I know the McCarthy system likes to invert guys where they're going to be boundary wide receivers or they're going to be slot wide receivers. I really like this guy in that Oklahoma setting where he can rack up yards after the catch especially in those underneath or those drag routes where, yes, he's got capability on the boundary or on the sideline to make spectacular catches, which is why you've been sending us videos all off season. I just think this guy is capable of 140 target, 1,200 yard, and a touchdown increase off of last season. He'll be borderline wide receiver one by the end of the year and really make it difficult on the Cowboys to keep Amari Cooper. Uh, did you say what his name was? I don't think you said. Oh, his excuse name. me, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I do all that build up and then I forget to say the name. Um, my yeah, number three ab- is CD Lamb. Absolutely, CD Lamb is my number one. So I'll talk to him right now about yeah, him right now. Fun. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come up with a different uh, player for number one. CD Lamb is a gosh dang monster, man. And yeah, I have been sending videos left and right to you and Ben. I, I'll even admit, I tried to get him barred from the league. I don't want to play against him at all. I think CeeDee Lamb is going to be in for a monster year. I think he's going to be the number one wide receiver in Dallas. 
I do believe that he has the ability to just break games wide open with, I feel like, decept- or deceptible speed that he has. You don't really think of him as a burner, but every day in camp, I just see pictures of him just burning whoever is covering him. An excellent route runner, ex- excellent hands. And then, yeah, he gets Dak Prescott back. Uh, C.D. Lamb was my number one. I love everything about him. So then who is number three, or excuse me, number two on your list? Number two for me is going to be LaViscus Sinault. There are two main reasons why I have him so high. The main reason is, well, not the main reason, but the first reason is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, He finally has a quarterback. With the million quarterbacks that he did have last year, he still had 600 yards and five touchdowns. I think to be able to do that as a rookie in Jacksonville is super impressive. The next reason I think that he's going to be number two for a breakout candidate is Urban Meyer. Just consistently what he did at Ohio State with LaViscuit Chenault type of players. Percy Harvin is one that comes to mind. I know that was in Ohio State. That was Florida. But Percy Harvin is what just comes to mind for me when I Curtis think of Samuel. What, yeah, what I think LaViscuit Chenault can be. I don't want to say a gadget guy, but somebody that is going to, you might see him in the backfield, but they might have also weird formations for him as well to get him on matchups. But I think he's going to be a yak monster as well. Uh, LaViscus Chenault, I think, is going to have a huge year too. Yeah, he's a guy I certainly have kept my eye on as maybe a buy low candidate on Dynasty. I think that he is actually more likely to be featured in the passing game this year. I know last year they tried to convert him in a couple of ways, kind of use him as somewhat of an H-back, kind of get some carries here or there. And he might get some reverses or some jet sweeps in this offense. But I think they're focused more on ETN or James Robinson being the guy in the backfield that's going to make catches. So I think actually it might be a benefit to him if he's more primarily used as a wide receiver. And I don't doubt the offensive prowess of most of Urban Meyer's offenses. I do think that having a more consistent quarterback is going to be beneficial to Jacksonville. And I really don't think that Gardner Minshew is a problem, but Gardner Minshew missed, I want to say, at least six or seven games last season. So that Jacksonville offense, I think, does get an upgrade. He's going to have a better opportunity in year two. So he is a guy that I think could bust out. It's just depending on the volume that he's going to receive. Here's the other thing, and you failed to mention it. Who's the number one wide receiver in Jacksonville right now? DJ Chark. Is it DJ Chark? Is it Marvin Jones? LaVisca Chenault. I mean, that's the thing. It could be Marvin Jones. He maybe get the opportunity as the number one until somebody is established. That's really what you're going after is, is he's got the clearest path to opportunity as being the number one coming into this season. And I know that Marvin Jones is an established guy. They brought him in for a little bit more veteran consistency. DJ Chark had that huge year two years ago, but this is a guy that could easily cement himself as the top target in this offense. All right. So then we have my top two, since you had I already married your top one with one of mine. Number two, this guy had 1118 yards, four touchdowns on 87 receptions and 134 targets last year. I see that number increasing on the receptions and the targets. He's got a new quarterback that should stabilize the position, more guys around him like Curtis Samuel. And and this guy is a burgeoning star with a quarterback who isn't afraid to take shots downfield. He's a burner. 
He's a guy that can make contested catches. I think this guy has been on the precipice. And frankly, the fact that he put up that kind of number last year with the likes of Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith is incredible. I look for Terry McLaurin as my number two breakout. I love the marriage of him and Fitzmagic. I think that it's a great quarterback for what he is and for what he's capable of doing. I also think he's kind of an underrated route runner as well. And two, you've talked about that division. I think that division is a mess. And I do think that Washington could be one of the teams that sneaks away with it. And I think it's going to have a lot to do with him. So uh, I love that pick for you. Yeah, I I was thinking about him for mine, but there are just other people that I just wanted to cover instead. But I love that pick. Dallas's defense isn't great. Philadelphia's defense isn't great. You could say the Giants were pretty decent last year, and I would expect them to be middle of the pack. But realistically, Washington has the best defense and defensive front in that division. So he's not going to have to go against that for any of those six games. I just think that his ability, if you increase his volume and the the down-the-field shots that I would assume they're going to be more capable of doing this year— that he's going to have a little bit higher productivity as far as fantasy value. My number one, this guy was hurt for a good portion of the second half of last year, but he was projected to be a running back number one. This was the guy that was being taken number one in most rookie drafts last year. He was number five off the board in most redraft leagues, and you've given Andy Reid an entire offseason to scheme for him, plus upgraded the offensive line. I think this might be a top 10, if not top five offensive line coming into this season. My number one breakout candidate, Clyde edwards Elaire. You were, out of everyone that I talked to pre-draft, you were the highest on Clyde edwards Hilaire last year. I didn't know too much about him, but you were super high on him, and then he was the number one running back taken. Um, He had a really huge opening night and then kind of, I don't want to say just kind of went away, but he kind of didn't live up to the expectations that everyone had for him uh, moving forward. But then you said everything. <laughs> you gave Andy Reid a whole year to figure something out. They upgraded on the offensive line. They did this, they did that. It's still like with Kansas City, it's pick your poison. Do you want to get killed by the passing game today? Or if you don't want to do that, I mean, we could kill you with the run game as well. So I do think that just no one wants to get beat by the pass. Like, that's what they're going to try to stop. So that just opens up so much more for him underneath. Plus just passes out of the backfield as well that they're going to end up scheming for him. He's too quick for 95% of the linebackers. Yeah, I love it. I I could see it 110% him just having a monster year. So I am all in on CEH stock this year, and if I can get my hands on him in every single league, I will try. Right now, his ADP is at the back end of the teens, maybe around pick 20. So depending on if you got Christian McCaffrey and CEH as your two backs, being the number one overall pick, or uh, let's say Delvin Cook and CEH, or whatever combination you want to put, I think that is a spectacular team coming in from a redraft perspective. But let's just look at it this way. He was not a heavy pass catcher in that offense. And I know that normally I am apprehensive about running backs catching passes 
from running quarterbacks. And Patrick Mahomes is somewhat of a running quarterback, but he's taken a couple of lumps over the last few years that would lead me to believe that he might be checking the ball down a little bit more. And I think they're going to scheme him some type of passes in this offense. I really do think Andy Reid is high on what this guy can do. And he was getting, I think, at least 20 carries a game before they brought in Le'Veon Bell last year. Le'Veon Bell is long gone and says he won't work with Andy Reid again. So there's really nobody there to vulture opportunities away from him. I really do think that the Chiefs are trying to get him involved. And with a better offensive line, I think his opportunities are going to be better, particularly around the goal line where he was struggling last year. So this guy fits really well for what Kansas City wants to do. If you go back to his LSU tape, when they spread the field and allow him to be kind of the bowling ball in the middle, I think it sets up actually for Kansas City to even score more points this year than even last year. And I think that offense might be the most unstoppable in football. It's why Kansas City, I think, is by far the favorite to win the Super Bowl yet again this year. All right, so that takes us to over the hill, guys. So before we get to that, just a quick definition. Guys that we consider over the hill are on the cusp of slipping below quarterback 15, running back or wide receiver 20, or tight end number 10 that we might not hear about again. So this is more for a dynasty standpoint, but who is your number five? Number five for me is Matt Ryan. Last year, he finished at quarterback 12. He is being drafted right now in the top 15 at quarterback, but he's got a new head coach, so he's learning a new offense. Arthur Smith, you know, he was calling plays last year for the Titans, and he's really balanced. I think he called around like 51 to 49% run to pass or something like that, but he had Derrick Henry. So the Falcons now have Mike Davis, who kind of broke down towards the end of the year for subbing in for Christian McCaffrey, was really, really big in the games early on, but then he kind of broke down. You got to see if he built a little bit more stamina this offseason to be able to handle the workload that they're going to want to give him. That being said, too, Julio Jones is gone. I know he was injured for most of uh, last year, but I tried to find the stats that Matt Ryan without Julio Jones. I know I said it in one of the our shows that we had last year, but it wasn't very good. He has Calvin Ridley, who I think is a very good wide receiver, and he has Kyle Pitts, who I think is the best rookie wide or you could ar- only uh, almost argue that he's the best rookie wide receiver coming in too, but by far the best rookie tight end. I just don't know if the running game for the Falcons is going to have a nice marriage with the passing game of what they're going to try to do. Also, learning a new offense, learning a new system, I don't know if that's going to go as well as they're going to want it to go as well. So for those reasons, I have Matt Ryan outside of my top 15. That one that I'm going to outwardly disagree with you on. I don't know if it happens this year, but you may get the last laugh on this one because there's been rumors. I mean, they weren't sure of him being their starting quarterback this year. I think it's possible he might move on at the end of this year and maybe he becomes a backup to someone overall, but I don't see him in the long-term future of Atlanta right now until at least I see what they're going to do this year on offense. All right, so that takes me to my number five, a guy that we've picked on a little bit, and it really pains me to see this because I loved, loved, loved him in his Badger days, helping me to two college fantasy football titles. His time as an RB1 on his own team, though, 
is kind of coming to a close. Barring some injury to Javante Williams, I think we all expect his volume to decline. This is a guy with only one 1,000-yard season to his name and only had 44 targets last season on 32 catches. His only redeeming quality is that he's had at least eight touchdowns every season that he's played except for at least 12 games. But if he seeds the goal line role at all, which it's quite possible he will, he is no longer fantasy relevant. My number five is Melvin Gordon. He's my number four. Um, I love Javante Williams. I talked about it pre-draft, all that other fun stuff. He had a huge year uh, for North Carolina last year. Him and Michael Carter were a beautiful one-two punch. Javante Williams, I think, is going to take that backfield over sooner rather than later. Uh, He's somebody that is not only a really good running back, but he's also a very good pass catcher as well. And I just think that kind of leaves Melvin Gordon on the outside looking in. Plus, he's got, I mean, he's been in the league for quite some time, and he's been kind of one of those runners that, you know, he, he chunks away at you. He wears you down and then kind of beats you towards the end of the game, and that that does take a toll on your body at some point as well. But you got a fast, fun, young running back coming in. I do think it's starting to look like the beginning of the end for Melvin Gordon. So that was your number four then. So let's go to my number four. And... This guy had three really big games last season of 35.5, 27, and 52.4 for 114.9 out of his total 239.6 points for this season combined in our particular league. That was 48% of his production was from three games last season. He finished as the wide receiver number 10, so this might be a little bit out on a limb. But he had more targets, receptions, and was equal in touchdowns to his number one running mate, who also was a top 10 wide receiver. And given that this offense has notably said that they were going to run the football more, they brought in somebody named Dwayne Eskridge, who's going to be very similar. They brought in Gerald Everett, who I think is a sneaky tight end play if you need a deep sleeper at tight end. He's not even the number one wide receiver, I would think, on his own team at this point. Where are the big games coming from for Tyler Lockett? He's my number four. Yeah, man. <laughs> he's somebody that you really just can't figure him out, right? Like he's he'll put up just a bunch of huge games, and then it's like, where the hell did he go? And I, I do not see it getting any better, especially with DK Metcalf going to just become more and more and more a part of that offense. Absolutely. I think he's a good best ball candidate. But I think Metcalf is going to be the clear number one going forward with this team. And I don't know if Lockett's going to be quite the safety blanket that Russell Wilson has looked to in the past couple of years because he didn't really have any other options. And I really do know that Seattle, especially out of training camp reports like Dwayne Eskridge, they were really excited about him coming in and kind of filling that underneath drag route, uh, quick slant type of role in this offense as a speedster. So I think that he's the eventual replacement to Tyler Lockett. I don't think it happens in year one, but I think it's going to eat into some of his value. And outside of maybe best ball, where you might be able to capitalize on his biggest games, I just don't think the consistency is there that he's going to be a top guy. All right, so that takes us to your number three, sir. Uh, my number three, uh, it's not huge. It's not a huge jump, and it won't be a huge surprise. Juju Smith-Schuster. He finished last year at 22. 
but there's a lot a lot of people believe that you know it was an off year and it'll be a bounce back i am one of those people that do not believe that it'll be a bounce back year for juju smith schuster you still got deontay johnson you still got chase claypool now you throw in Najee harris into the mix as well who is a very very good pass catching back I don't see it being a huge year or a better year for Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's going to kind of do about the same thing he did last year. I would guess that you're probably right on this one, and it wasn't a guy that necessarily immediately came to mind. Part of the reason that he was valuable last year is the amount of catches and targets he got because both he and Deontay Johnson were getting double-digit targets per game. But he was the underneath guy that if there was a blitz coming or something else for Pittsburgh because their offensive line was absolute shit, that they were trying to get the ball out too very quickly. And he wasn't as good as he could have been because his, I think, yards per reception was incredibly low. So I still look at him as a slot wide receiver in this offense that is going to get less volume. If that's what you're banking on is somehow that his volume is going to outmaneuver his efficiency because his efficiency was low last year, I'm just not seeing it either. So my number three had a pretty good offensive line last year that was really rebuilt for what reason? I'm still scratching my head at that one. He's never been a great fantasy quarterback to begin with. He's been okay, but he's a guy that's been in the 12 to 15 range most of his career and when healthy, he's been averaging about 4,000 yards, 30-ish touchdowns on a season. But this is a Raiders team that wants to run first behind what I now consider a relatively bad offensive line. I think he sees regression, and the Raiders are going to be a bad team that might take an early quarterback next year. We'd already heard about him being traded or in retirement mode, I guess. My number three is Derek Carr. Yeah, what was that weird talk about retirement? Right. I didn't. I'm sorry. I don't follow the Raiders very much. <laughs> well, it was just basically he didn't want to play for anybody else that if he was traded, he was just going to retire. OK, yeah. OK, I do remember that weird little. Yeah, it's somebody that really just hasn't lived up to the expectations that everyone has had for him. He's been a decent quarterback, but he never really took that next step. But he's also somebody that repeatedly just gets beat up. He's somebody that gets sacked a lot, but I think a lot of that also has to do with his own making with holding the ball too long. But yeah, Derek Carr, somebody I've never really thought of drafting. And then also he's a big reason too, while I was off the Henry Ruggs bandwagon as well. Also, it has a lot to do with Henry Ruggs himself, but the quarterback didn't really help my decision with that. Your number two then. My number two is going to be Michael Thomas. I do not believe that he will be back to the Michael Thomas that we all know and love. He's still kind of dealing with the ankle injury, and he's really ticked off at the Saints as well. I heard he like ghosted them for a good part of the offseason. And also, there's no Drew Brees anymore. We don't really know who the starting quarterback is going to be. We don't know if they're going to do it like college teams do, where it's like, all right, he gets this play, he gets this drive. You really don't know a lot about that. There's a lot of reasons why I'm not going to mess with Michael Thomas, but the main reason is I just don't think that his body is going to cooperate the rest of his career and this season as well most definitely this season, but I do think he's kind of wearing down a little bit. 
Yeah, from where he was two years ago, and we've documented this all through last season and even I think on the last episode, that he's just fallen so very far. And some people have thought about snapping up his ADP where I think he's going into like the mid-70s for pick right now, partially because he's hurt. But with the dysfunction that is going on in New Orleans, we still don't know who the quarterback's going to be. And we don't know how that offense is going to function, where he got a lot of short passes that he could get a high volume of targets and receptions in that offense, which made him even more valuable. I know he was in my comeback players last week, but it's looking like even more that was already a bad call by me. All right, so my number two. This is a guy that's on my own team, unfortunately, but 74 catches last season, 105 targets, 925 yards, 14 touchdowns, and really that's unsustainable. He had four touchdowns on 142 targets in 2017, nine touchdowns on 153 targets in 2018. 2019, he was hurt a lot, but with him no longer being the number one guy on his own team and bigger expectations for Delvin Cook, Irv Smith, I don't see where Adam Thielen increases in targets at his age of 31 already or that he sustains his touchdown relevancy, which kept him in the top 10 of wide receivers. My number two is Adam Thielen. You son of a... We should really go over our list before. (laughs) Adam Thielen is my number one. And I was going to say, you know, he finished last year at wide receiver seven. And I do believe that he's going to make the fall all the way down outside of the top 20. And it's because, yeah, 14 touchdowns last year. You know, 14 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. I don't think he's going to get that type of volume even as well. I think they're going to really try to get Justin Jefferson involved early and involved often. Adam Thielen is, yeah, is going to be 31 very soon. And I feel like his age really, really started to show last year. And it kind of came very quickly, too. Um, as quickly as he kind of came up, it seems like that's as quickly as he's going to kind of fall as well. Super run-heavy offense. They're going to get Dalvin Cook the ball, whether it be out of the backfield in the pass or just handing them the football as well. I do think Adam Thielen's better days have been are much, much further behind him than ahead of him. You know, I and I, two Kirk Cousins. Like I don't really, really know how well Kirk Cousins is going to be moving forward as well. Cause you know, he's not getting any younger either, but Adam Thielen for me, number one, I see him going from seven all the way outside of the top 20. Well, this is still an offense where the number one option in the red zone is going to be Dalvin cook. The number two option is probably a combination of Thielen and Jefferson and even an increase in the amount of touchdowns to somebody like Irv Smith Jr. takes away the amount of red zone opportunities for Thielen. So if you raise the floors on Jefferson or Irv Smith, I just don't see him getting double-digit touchdowns again, which is what able was able to elevate him. Because I think there were many weeks last year, and we talked about it, where he'd get like three or four catches and 60 yards, but then he'd get one touchdown, and that would basically make him valuable but you didn't necessarily know when the couple of weeks where he'd get two touchdowns, three touchdowns were going to be. It was just you had to insert him and hope. But especially by the end of the year when Jefferson was the dominant number one on that team and they don't throw the ball a ton, he just, to me, looks like what we were going to get out of Corey Davis last year, that he was going to hit or miss his certain spots. But Justin Jefferson was increasingly going to be the A.J. Brown of that featured 
running back, or excuse me, that offense, because they use Delvin Cook almost as much as uh, Derrick Henry gets used by the Titans. So my number one, I'll just keep it simple. His top 10 a year ago was absolutely shocking, but he's not going to be the lead guy on this offense by midseason. He had an absolute dream season last year, but I really believe that Travis Etienne was drafted in the first round, no less, to be the guy for this Jacksonville offense. He was a guy in college that was living in the end zone, and they've been trying to move him around. I think he's incredibly capable. I think he was a three- or four-year starter at Clemson. So this just simply means that at a certain point, he's the backup running back. His volume's just not going to be there for a top-10 guy, and I don't think anybody's going to ever mistake him for being a top-10 guy. He just had an unusual amount of volume for that offense on a really bad team, and it ended up costing him towards the end of the year where he got hurt and was not reliable for the fantasy playoffs. My number one, unfortunately, and I, I know this was the fantasy guy of last year, but it's James Robinson. He was my honorable mention. I just didn't know if they were going to hand ETN the keys to the car as early as you think they are going to. But I I have no problem with you picking James Robinson. But he's somebody we talked about all all last year about now's the time you should probably trade him. Okay, you got another week. You should probably trade him, like maximize value. We saw this coming last year. We knew it was coming. Travis Etienne is somebody that is going to be a three down back. He can catch a lot of footballs. Um, He can run the football really, really well. I personally think he hurt his stock going back to Clemson for his last year. I think he would have been one of the top two running backs taken last year, but it doesn't matter. He's in the NFL. He's here. He stayed healthy, which thank goodness. And he really didn't put up a whole bunch of carries either. Yeah, Travis Etienne, I think it's his backfield to really lose. And the only way he's going to lose it is by injury. Well, and Travis Etienne is a guy I'm really high on because you look at the history of Urban Meyer with running backs. It's really great. Ezekiel Elliott, Carlos Hyde, Curtis Samuel. We eventually had a J.K. Dobbins, although I guess it wasn't necessarily his offense, but He likes to utilize the run game, and he makes it a focus of all of his teams. So I think that they really wanted to give that one-two punch that is going to be the foundation of their team for the next couple of years by going Lawrence 1 and then ETN in the mid-20s. I really think that they're going to figure out ways to get ETN involved, and Robinson is there as a luxury and a convenience, not as the number one guy. So we'll repeat it again. When it comes to Dynasty, particularly if you're not a top five team that you can't legitimately make the case that, okay, yeah, I might make the playoffs. But if you really don't have a top 10 guy, or excuse me, a top tier guy on your team that can win you a championship, our number six guy in the playoffs last year had Travis Kelsey, which I think might be a top five guy in all of fantasy and was the MVP on most people's teams that kind of carried him during those uh, playoff weeks. I really think you have to capitalize on trading peak value because there really should be more rotation of guys buying low, selling high type of stuff that's going on. And I think too many people are unfortunately gun shy, including myself. I'll put myself in that category. Well, it's it's a double edged sword, you know, and there's a lot it of is. trades that I make. Uh, I feel like I'm probably one of the more active trade makers in our league. Um, there's a lot of trades that I've made where it's like, oh, yeah. I feel really good about that. And there's a lot of them where it's like, I pulled the trigger a little too early and you hurt, you hurt a little bit, but 
You know, I think that's what also makes fantasy fun. But I think with a lot of guys, yeah, I think they're just trigger happy. Nobody wants to be on the wrong end of a trade. I don't know why. I think it makes it a little more fun. Um, it's a little upsetting, but I don't know, man. It's fun to make trades. There's only so much you can do in the draft because especially in our draft, like after probably the second round, it's a lot of just like, okay, I hope he does well for me. Okay, mm-hmm. I hope he kind of breaks out. I hope this one figures it out. And it's a lot of um, like, well, they're probably only going to be on my team for one year, maybe at the best, maybe a couple weeks. But, yeah. So, any remaining thoughts for the week? No, man, I'm just, you know, the Packers play tonight. Like I said, I'm excited to see Jordan Love, but I'm just excited football's back. I don't really enjoy the off-season chatter as much as I used to. Maybe it's just because a lot of it this year involved our quarterback, but it's just a lot better to just get back to football. Well, and as Packer fans, we're usually not involved in free agency either, <laughs> so there is that to be said. Uh, I know that while we're waiting on the NFL, the college game is starting up probably in the next couple of weeks. I know there's that kind of soft opening week where a few teams will play some unusual games uh, about the last week of August or last weekend of August. Uh, We're going to get a few into the early portion of that Labor Day weekend, but really Labor Day weekend kicks it off. And I would strongly encourage anybody, if you enjoy Dynasty Fantasy, that one of the best things you can do for interest in the college game so that you know some of these guys coming in because this is where we make our hay is in the rookie draft you should be playing college fantasy football and i think the only place that i've found that is reliable on being able to set up a team is fantrax.com so f-a-n-t-r-a-x.com uh, I know most people are scared of it, but it is a recommendation I will make, and you can cater it to the amount of conferences or what you want to do. So if you just want to play a Big Ten only, you want to play a major conferences only league, that's available to you. Personally, I like playing the full, what is it, 138 now or something like that, college football teams, just because you learn some of the guys that are very far down from some of these smaller schools that you didn't know about, but it is a great way to learn all of these guys before they become draft prospects. So that'll be my plug for the week. Yeah. I was going to say, is that a plug? Like, are you getting paid? Did you take an endorsement deal? Nope, I didn't know. About? I did not. Unfortunately, <laughs> I just am doing that out of the goodness of my heart because the good people at fan tracks have helped me out so much over the last, I don't know, about six years in, uh, winning at least three, if not more championships. If I can remember, I, I win them so often anymore. It's just like, you know, eh. Uh, another year, another one. <laughs> Shout out to Fantrax. You can you can find Tom on Twitter. Thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again soon to continue our off-season coverage. But until then... Stay safe, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. And you can also now find us on Twitter at dydownload 20 And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. 